redemption. What do you think of when you hear the word redemption? What does it mean to be redeemed? Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines it as buying back or getting and winning something back. Well, this is what the story of Ruth is all about. A story of a person who has no reputation left, but is unexpectedly bought back. Ruth chapter 4 just shows us how costly redemption really is. More specifically, how trying to redeem ourselves is a futile endeavor. Ruth shows us that we need someone with the right of redemption to redeem us. Well, in Ruth chapter 1, we saw that there was a famine in Israel. So Naomi and her husband Elimelech, they fled to Moab, that foreign country, to find food there. And they settled there for 10 years. And her two sons, uh, Malon and Kilion, married two Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. Well, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, ended up dying, and so did her two sons, Malon and Kilion. And so when Naomi heard that there was food back in Israel, that God had intervened and and helped his people once again, she and her two daughters-in-law started traveling back to Israel, to Bethlehem, the house of bread. But Orpah decided to go back to her mother's house in Moab, but Ruth clung to Naomi. She said, I'm going back with you to serve you and help you and to serve your God in Israel. Well, in chapter 1, we ended with Naomi and Ruth coming back to Bethlehem empty. Naomi said she felt bitter. She had lost her husband and her two sons, and her inheritance was on the brink of extinction, having no son to carry it on in the land of Israel. Well, in Ruth 2, we saw that Ruth took the initiative She went and happened to walk into the field of Boaz seeking food, and Boaz took her under his wings, and he provided for her Naomi through the wheat and barley harvests during that time. In Ruth chapter 3, last time we saw that Naomi took the initiative, and she devised this bold plan for Ruth to go and propose and ask Boaz to marry her. And Boaz said, yes, I will marry you in order to redeem you and your family. But there is another man ahead of me who has that right. But I will go and settle the matter in the morning. And so we were left at the end of chapter 3 wondering, will Boaz redeem Ruth? And will she be able to have a son to carry on that inheritance? So we come to chapter 4 this morning, and we see and learn today that redemption, it is costly. And we'll find that Though it is costly, redemption is full of life and it is full of hope by God's providence. And that will serve as our main idea this morning. God's plan of redemption is costly, but it is providentially full of life and full of hope. And that will serve as our three points this morning. So point number one, redemption comes at a cost. We see that in Ruth 4, verses 1 to 12. So follow along as I read. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken of, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friends, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. 
So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there's no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Well, in verse 1 here, we see that Boaz, he went up to the town gate. Why did he go up to the gate of the town? Well, the gate during this time was seen as a, a city council. It was seen as a courthouse and it was seen as a town hall. This is where all the elders would come and, and uh, make rulings on things in their land. It was the life of the city. It was as a marketplace where the townspeople would come and gather and, and hear the elders make decisions. It's where the people would pass through in the morning on the way to work, on their way to their fields and the threshing floors and the wine presses. And so Boaz went up to that town gate that very next morning after seeing Ruth that night. And he waited, and lo and behold, who walks up? The Redeemer that is in line ahead of him to redeem. And he tells him, he calls him in our text, friend. But that word in the original language just means something like so-and-so or such-and-such. It's very vague. So we're going to call him Mr. So-and-so this morning. So Boaz, or the author in this, in this story, has nothing negative to say about Mr. So-and-so, but he is left veiled. His identity is nameless. And so we have this clear contrast between Mr. So-and-so and Boaz. In verse 2, Boaz acts in accordance with the Leveret Law that we see in Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 to 10. And that calls for 10 elders of the city to come and be witnesses to something like redeeming and marriage. You know, two or three witnesses would usually suffice when striking a bargain or transaction. But when it comes to something important like marriage, divorce, and, and buying land, the uh, Israel law required 10 witnesses. And so that's what Boaz does. In verse 3, he speaks 
to this man, this Redeemer. If you all remember from our study in Ruth, a Redeemer is the next closest male relative to the deceased husband, where he buys the land of that deceased husband and marries the living widow of that deceased husband in order that he may give that land to a son that he will have with that widow and carry on the name of the deceased in the land of Israel. That was the purpose of being a redeemer in the time of Israel. And so Boaz was determined to see Ruth and Naomi's family carry on their name in Israel. Whether it be Mr. So-and-so or him, he wanted it to happen. He wanted her to be redeemed. Well, in verse 4, Boaz, he lays out the whole situation. He lays it out in front of the elders and the people and this redeemer. And guess what? This man, Mr. So-and-so, what does he say? Yeah, I'll redeem that land. And our hearts kind of sink because we're, we're cheering for Boaz, aren't we? So he says he'll, he'll redeem it. But when Boaz is letting, sitting here letting this man say, yeah, I'll redeem that land, Boaz is submitting himself to the providential hand of God. He is trusting that God is working all things together for his good. Well, what happens in verse 5? Well, unlike a really good car salesman that when he just says something that makes you want to buy it, you want to buy it just like that, Boaz says something that has the opposite effect. He says, the minute you buy the land from Naomi that belongs to Elimelech, you're also acquiring Ruth, the Moabite woman, the widow, in order to perpetuate their family name in the land of Israel by having a son that you can give that inheritance to with her. Well, upon hearing this, Mr. So-and-so says, I cannot redeem it. I can't do it. You see, Boaz... You think, we, we hope he's kind of counting on him to decline the offer because we're rooting for him, aren't we? But he's not wanting to redeem Ruth because he feels sorry for the widow. He's not wanting to redeem Ruth because he wants more land. He genuinely, as a relative of the deceased Elimelech, wants to see their family name carried on and their inheritance carried on in the land. So Boaz references the Leverett Ordinance in Deuteronomy 25, verse 7 of being a redeemer and having a leveret marriage. Well, in verse 6, upon hearing that Mr. So-and-so would be acquiring Ruth the Moabite, he declines the offer. He changes his mind. And this opens the door wide open for Boaz to step in to have the right to be the redeemer. He now was next in line. You see, this is a costly redemption. Why? Because Mr. So-and-so already had a family. Maybe he already had a wife to take care of. Maybe he already had children he was planning on splitting his land inheritance with. And if he was to marry Ruth, he would gain a second wife to take care of. He would gain her mother-in-law, Naomi, in her old age to take care of. And whatever children he would have with Ruth, then he'd have to split Elimelech's land and his land between all the children, both from Ruth and his current wife. And so, upon thinking this through, it was very costly and land during this time was a very big deal because it showed the inheritance and share of the land they had from the covenant that God made with Abraham and giving Abraham and all his many descendants land in the promised land during this time. 
So this was a big deal, but Mr. So-and-so said, I don't want it to impair my inheritance. He found it very costly, and he declined the, off the offer. So the point here of this non-redeeming redeemer is that redemption is very costly. Well, friends, there has been an even costlier redemption for us. You see, Jesus didn't risk his estate or his land. He gave his own life for us, for you and for me on the cross of Calvary. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Jesus is the only person ever to live a perfectly righteous life, obedient to God until death. And he willingly gave up his life for us. You see, he paid the penalty for our sins in our place. He took upon himself the full, just, righteous wrath of God that should have been poured out on me and you for our sin. You see, Jesus, his sacrifice was paid in full for our sins. It paid full atonement for our sins. And Jesus accepted his death as payment for our sins by raising him from the dead. And Jesus is alive today. And if we count the cost for ourselves and see what it takes to turn from our sin and our shame and our living for ourselves and look to Jesus and what he did for us, he lived righteously for us and he died for us and he rose again for us. If we would take and count the cost of what it means to follow him instead of ourselves, then God will give us Christ's righteousness, his righteous robes he'll wrap around us. His Holy Spirit will come to live within us. And new birth is placed in us so that we're born again. And we become righteous and holy as Christ is righteous and holy. Because that righteousness is Christ's. Well, if you are here this morning and you do not consider yourself a believer or a Christian, I would have you understand that you need to know your condition before God before you can see how costly this redemption really is. You see, we have all committed treason against God, the high king of heaven. We have sinned against him by living our own way. All of us, because we're sinners, we're slave to sin. We're under the curse of the law of sin. But Jesus, he became a curse for us. He took the judgment for us, and he rose from the dead. God accepted his payment for our sin. And you see, his death effectively atones for our sins. So, dear friend, would you repent of living for yourself in sin today and trust and believe in Christ for this type of redemption? Well, in verses 7 through 8, we see that the author tells us what the custom was during this day. He says, to confirm a transaction, a man would draw off his sandal and give it to the other who was buying it. So in particular, in this case, Boaz is buying the land of Elimelech. It rightfully belonged to Mr. So-and-so, but he declined it. He didn't want to buy it. So Mr. So-and-so draws off his sandal and he hands it to Boaz. This is symbolic, and it means Mr. So-and-so is giving Boaz the right to tread and walk upon the land that he is buying, the land belonging to Naomi and Elimelech. 
You see, this nameless redeemer from verse 1 lacked the commitment and the compassion that Boaz had, and he will quickly disappear from this story. His, he will be irrelevant to the theme of this book, which is the preservation of the royal line of King David, through whom the Messiah would come. In verses 9 and 10, we see that Boaz exclaims in front of the ten elders sitting there in the town hall, in front of the Mr. So-and-so, in front of all the people coming through the gate and gathering around and listening, what's going on, what's going on? He exclaims in front of everyone, I am buying the land and all that belonged to Elimelech. Everything that belonged to Malon and Kilion, I am buying it. I'm also buying Ruth, the widow from Moab, in order to perpetuate uh, their name, their family name in, in the land of Israel. He's hoping to have a son to pass that land on and that name on to. You see, Boaz was excited to to redeem Ruth and her family. And he, unlike Mr. So-and-so, he accepted the consequences. He had his own inheritance, his own family, but he was willing to take the cost and to redeem Ruth and her family. So in the end, Mr. So-and-so would disappear without a name, but the names of Malon and Elimelech, they would live on. And dear friend, you and I, if we're united to Christ by faith, we will not disappear without a name. In fact, we are given a new name in Christ Jesus, and we will live on for eternity. And indeed, our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, which is in heaven. Well, in verse 11, all the people at the gate were witnesses of this transaction, of this redemption of Ruth's family. And so they, they bless Boaz and his new wife, Ruth. And they give Ruth the usual bridal benediction that she may be fruitful like Leah and like Rachel. You see, they pray for this foreign widow from Moab who was once their enemy. But now that they bless her and pray that she might be like Rachel and Leah, the two mothers of Israel who bore 12 children to Jacob who would become the 12 tribes of Israel. This is no small prayer for Ruth. And they also bless Boaz that he might be worthy and renowned in Israel. And in verse 12, they then they bless the household of Boaz and Ruth, that it may be like the house of Perez, who was uh, born to Tamar by Judah. And this recalls an earlier leveret marriage back in Genesis 38. Now, it was an immoral one, but it was a leveret marriage nonetheless. And so the point here is that this leveret marriage... Boaz redeeming Ruth is one of the highest ethical standard because from beginning to end, both Boaz and both Ruth are seen to show love and kindness to those around them. They have this covenant love for one another. And so little did those townspeople know who were blessing Ruth and Boaz know that their household name would be renowned in Israel. King David would come from them. The Messiah would come from them. You see, God was there in the city gate that morning. He was present in the legal process. How do we explain Boaz meeting Mr. So-and-so at the right time? How do we explain Boaz carefully uh, telling the the situation about Naomi and Ruth's uh, predicament? 
How do we explain the Redeemer's quick willingness to give up his right of redemption? Well, God was there in the legal process. And just as God's hand was in the legal process in the town hall that morning, we have a hope when we are dismayed of our own courts in our day and their decisions. You see, God is on a higher seat in the highest court, and his seat will never be up for re-election. You see, he judges righteously. We never have to worry about him uh, making decisions that are for our, our ill. His throne has been established forever, from eternity to eternity. So trust in this righteous judge, no matter how our earthly courts in our land, how they rule. Psalms 9, 7 through 9 says this, But the Lord sets enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Well, what about us here at Emmanuel? Just as the townspeople were witnesses of the redemption of Ruth and her family, we, at, uh, we as church members are witnesses of God's redemption in our own lives. You see, we're loving one another when we're encouraging one another that we are indeed in the faith. When someone is redeemed and, and we practice the ordinance of baptism and they come into our community here at Emmanuel, we are encouraging them and confirming they are in the faith. They have been redeemed. We are witnesses. When we gather around the Lord's Supper next Sunday, we are witnesses to one another that we're all in the faith. And we are looking forward as one body to our future inheritance and redemption in Christ. And see, we also can help one another be witnesses as we reach out to those who are lost. We can come together and share Christ with one another as believers. This helps us to hold one another accountable. It helps us to learn from one another. It helps us to rejoice when we succeed and, and cry when we fail, and it bonds us together when we come together and share Christ as a, a group of believers. You see, the local church is God's method for evangelism and witnessing people being redeemed from their sins. So our mission as Emmanuel is to be part of God's plan of redemption, and that is to be about the mission of making disciples from all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded us to do, and to be encouraging one another that Christ is with us always to the end of the age. Well, God's hand is not only in the legal affairs, but his hand is in the biological affairs. We see this when Ruth needed a son to perpetuate Elimelech's name in Israel. This brings us to point number two. Redemption brings new life. Redemption brings new life. We see this in verses 13 to 17. Follow along with me. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. 
He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nurture of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Well, in verse 13 here, we see Boaz finally, we're rooting for him, he marries Ruth. And she, she bore a son. The Lord gave conception, just as he did for Leah and Rachel, who were barren for many years, and they ended up having 12 sons. He gave conception to Ruth, and she had a son and named him Obed. You see, this was the son that was born that would build up their house in, in the land of Israel. Ruth has now found that rest and the security of having a husband and a family that Naomi was wishing and praying for her back in chapter 1. You see, when we, dear friends, are united, when we're united to Christ by faith and have been redeemed by his blood, we, in a sense, are married to Christ. Jesus is the bridegroom, and everyone redeemed by his blood is his bride. So we are married to Christ, and new life is conceived in us because the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, causing us to well up with new life from heaven above, so that when we hear the good news of Christ, our new hearts are receptive to that truth, and we are compelled to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so just as God spread his wings over Israel in the Old Testament and she became his bride, and here just as Boaz spread his wings over Ruth and she became his bride, Jesus Christ spreads his wings over us, his church, and we become his bride. New life is birthed in us so that we become new creations in Christ Jesus and we are filled with his spirit. Well, in verse 14... The women of the town, they blessed the Lord for redeeming Naomi. And they wished that this newly born son's name would be renowned in Israel. And the women who questioned if this was Naomi coming back to Bethlehem back in chapter 1, they're now blessing the grandchild of Naomi now. Because this child was the completion of her filling all the emptiness and bitterness back in chapter 1. And friends, Obed's name would be renowned in Israel because from Obed will come King David, and his name was renowned in Israel. And from King David comes King Jesus, and he's the Christ, the king of all who are kings. Well, we go on to verse 15. This baby boy will be the restorer in Naomi's old age. Naomi told the women of the town back in one 21, chapter 1, that the Lord brought her back empty. She had lost her husband. She had lost her two sons, and she felt bitter. God had taken everything from her. But that complaint in chapter 1 has now turned 180 degrees the other way. That complaint has been reversed. Ruth's son will be the restorer of life for the family. In verse 16, we see that Naomi took this child and was his nurse. She became a mother to him. And in verse 17, what happened? The townspeople, the women in the town, gave this son a name. And what did they name him? 
Obed. Obed means servant. And Obed, what a fitting name, Obed did serve his family well. He carried on that inheritance, didn't he? He became the father of Jesse, the father of King David. Well, although Ruth was barren, she was barren for 10 years when she was married to Malon, now that she married Ruth, God granted her a son. Because conception here is seen as a work of God and, and as a miracle and a gift, we too should see conception as a miracle and gift of God. We must see all human life as a gift, whether born or unborn. The unborn are just as a gift from conception from God as the toddlers running around here in the room. Even those who are outcast and ostracized and and not recognized are gifts from God from conception. Refugees, immigrants, widows, orphans, the elderly, all made in God's image and are gifts from God from conception. Do we see them as God sees them? Well, dear friends, the story of Ruth has been full of blessings, prayers and blessings that were answered by God left and right. You know, from Naomi to Boaz to the field workers to the townspeople, it's full of blessings being answered by God. James says in the New Testament that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Chapter 5, verse 16 So as a church, as Emmanuel Baptist, are we taking advantage of the means of grace to exercise in the power of prayer for one another? One option to do this is our Wednesday night Zoom calls. It's a perfect time to pray for one another. But that's just one thing, and that's just a start. What if we met up with someone else from the church once a week, and we read scripture together? We prayed together for one another, for our church, for the lost. What if we visited fellow church members who don't have the opportunity right now to get out of the house and gather with us on Sundays? What if we went and asked them how their life's going on, how we could pray for them? One thing that I have learned is that it is helpful, helpful to pray for one, one another in the moment. And what I mean by this is when a brother and sister is letting us know what's going on in their life and they tell us how we could be praying for them, what's our normal response? I'll be praying for you. See ya. And we part ways. And how many times do we actually remember to pray for them? You see, what if, when we're told how to be praying for our brother and sister in Christ, we respond rather, can I pray for you right now? You see, this is a way to effectively pray for one another. Whether it's good news, bad news, or in-between news, we can pray in the moment for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, not only is God's plan of redemption costly, and not only is it full of life, but thirdly, it is providentially full of hope. And that brings us to point number three this morning. Redemption is full of hope. We see this in the last few verses. 18 to 22, it says, Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. 
Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. You see, this genealogy right here in our text, it shows us how the Lord has repaid and rewarded Ruth as Boaz desired for her back in chapter 2, verse 12. The Lord has brought about a family line that will end up being the greatest in all of Israel. This family line has ten names listed here. And those ten names are more than enough to fill the emptiness of the ten years of Ruth's barrenness. You see, rather than Boaz's marriage to Ruth marring and impairing his own inheritance, and rather than Obed, the son they had, alone benefiting from Elimelech's connection to the land, Boaz not only retained his own, his own holdings, but he was also grafted into the lineage of Perez. Right here, instead of, instead of uh, Malon being mentioned, Boaz is mentioned. Boaz is part of this royal family line. You see, the book of Ruth demonstrates that in these dark days that Naomi lived in, during the time of the judges who ruled, these dark times, the chosen royal line of the kings was being preserved, not by human effort or human hands, but by the powerful, providential hand of God. You see, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, would come from the descendant of this David, this King David. The book of Ruth is ultimately about him. It's about the Messiah. It's about Jesus Christ who would come. And he would come representing both Jews and Gentiles, even Moabites like Ruth. Jesus Christ, the King of kings, is a representative for all peoples of all nations here on earth. If God can save a Gentile and redeem a Moabite like Ruth, then yes, he can redeem any one of us in this room this morning. He is for all kinds of people without distinction. Well, brothers and sisters, if life seems hard for you this morning, if it seems difficult to navigate right now, be encouraged by the same hope that Naomi was encouraged of in her life. She lived in a desperate time, didn't she? But God's hidden hand was at work, preserving the royal line of the kings and preserving the line that would ultimately end up being Jesus Christ, representing all humanity, who would represent you and represent me. You see, she trusted in God to provide for her, And he orchestrated everything for her good and his glory. Naomi went from chapter 1 being bitter to chapter 4 being blessed. Praise the Lord. But let us not forget material blessings for us are never guaranteed in this life. But what is guaranteed, dear Christian? It is that if we are united to this Jesus Christ by faith, then we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, as we heard earlier in our scripture reading. We have been adopted into this family of God, just like Boaz was grafted into that royal family line. We are grafted into that line as well. We have been redeemed and forgiven from our slavery, from our sin. What a blessing we have in this Redeemer, Christ Jesus. And to top it off, the icing on the cake, We 
are the bride of Jesus. We have one another, Emmanuel Baptist Church. So if you are going through a difficult time, lean on one another. Lean on your brothers and sisters here at Emmanuel, at the church. We are the church, the bride of Christ. We can help encourage you. We can help support one another, help one another during this time. You see, this is what your church members are here for. We're helping one another persevere in this life until we reach and cross the finish line and acquire our own inheritance of our final redemption, which is waiting for us in heaven. Well, in closing, we have seen that God's plan of redemption is very costly, but is full of life and is full of hope. We saw that redemption comes at a cost. It costs Boaz when he married Ruth and redeemed her family. It costs Jesus his life. His blood paid for our redemption. And it costs us when we look to Christ and see what it will cost to follow him and not our own ways. Turning from, Christ, or turning from sin leads to destruction, but turning to Christ leads to life. And that's what we saw secondly, is that redemption brings new life. Just as Boaz and Ruth had a son Obed who carried on that inheritance in Israel, who led to King David. When we are redeemed by Jesus' blood, the Holy Spirit of Christ births new life in us and we are filled with the Holy Spirit and become new creations in Christ Jesus. And thirdly, we saw that redemption is full of hope. The book of Ruth ends on the hope that Ruth and Boaz's family line will end up with King David, the renowned king of Israel. And from King David would come the king of kings who would rule in Israel forever. Because this Davidic king is the ending of Ruth, there is hope that King Jesus represents all of us, all the peoples of the earth. You see, Christ's work on the cross was one of eternal redemption. And we today can find our emptiness, just like Naomi, filled when we are filled with the hope of Christ and his redemption. So friend, are you trusting in this redemption through Jesus today? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we we praise you for your mercy and grace that you have lavished us on us in Christ Jesus. Lord, that you sent him to redeem us with his own blood. Lord, that we can be new creations with a new spiritual life in Christ if we would turn from our sin and trust in him. Lord, thank you for this story of redemption and how beautiful it is and how we get to be part of your story of history, to be part of your plan of redemption for all peoples all over the earth. Lord, we thank you and praise you this morning, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.